Hello and welcome to episode number 12 of Inglorious Artists. Today I'm talking to Benjamin Zadig, who is a cinematographer slash focus puller slash clapper loader and so on on loads of movies and TV series, especially coming out of Sweden. Uh, he's got an IMDb page as long as my arm. And uh, this might get a little bit technical and nerdy, uh, so let's just get into it. Here's my conversation with Benjamin Zadig. Right, Mr. Benjamin, um, we know each other because you have uh, captured my uh, features more than once uh, <laughs> on moving uh, images. Once or twice, I dabble. And you've been on some sets that I also was on and blah, blah. Um, but what you do is you, you are involved in anything and everything to do with cameras, uh, film cameras, uh, video, moving images, basically. You're a cinematographer... First camera assistant, second camera assistant, focus puller, blah, blah, everything like that. Mm. And um, I'm going to have to warn people who listen to this because sometimes this might get uh, technical and nerdy. And, uh, well, some of these episodes are um, in different ways. But since what you do in your creative realm might be a little bit more technical than some other stuff, then beware. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. But um, so first of all, for people who don't might not know, like a cinematographer, most people know what that entails, but we can go into that. But what is the difference between being a first uh, camera assistant and second and so on? Well, basically, a second assistant camera is the assistant to the first assistant camera. And uh, in Swedish called, uh, which is kind of like nice, it's like C photo so c assistant and then the focus puller or first assistant is called a b assistant mm. or mm. a photo so a photo would be the camera operator a photo would be the cinematographer yeah yeah it's it's um, it's very uh, socially pleasant <laughs> i don't know like i just kind of like the a b and c there's no oh you like that i, yeah. I think it's kind of confusing because you have to know what that means oh yeah you do like for like for film people you, you they know but like mm. for Ordinary people, they have no idea. Mm. But then again, ordinary people don't know what a cinematographer does anyways. Mm. They just basically think five people rock up on set and shoot something, and that turns out to be mm. altered carbon. <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? Like, if right. there's, you know, that's, like, employs a hundred, hundreds of people. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, you know, ridiculous to think two people can do that. Mm. But basically, a second assistant camera or a clapper loader is the person that is the assistant to the focus puller or the first assistant. What that entails is that they're the ones that are commonly seen with a slate or the mm. big piece of plastic with two wooden sticks that clap together and yeah. scream out a bunch of incoherent nonsense for everyone. Mm. Um, basically, they're in charge of maintaining the slate in an orderly uh, fashion that is easily readable and easily like understood. Mm. Um, they are supposed to say everything on the slate very accurately and pronounce it. So it's clear, mm. so you can hear it. Mm. Um, also, the sticks are clapped together because obviously syncing sound, which is something that is not really 
needed nowadays with time codes and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do it anyways because it's like you know, if ever all else fails, we still have those two sticks mm. that claps together. And or sometimes, because I've been in one set where somebody actually used an iPad with a clapper. Oh yeah, uh, app. you you can do that too. Like when I was uh, when I was clapper loading, I had three slates. I had my uh, my go to slate, which is funny enough the only slate I ever bought. Mm. Uh, Panavision in Australia, uh, and that is uh, like the slate I use for everything. And then I would all you always get slates in Sweden uh, when you do productions. So that other slate I would use as a writing slate, so I could write things on it. Mm. And the other slate was a all weather slate because what are you going to do when it's raining outside? Mm -hmm. You can't write, no. so you'd use like uh, cardboard stickers that has like numbers and letters and so forth on it. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. So that would be my like weather slate, and then I would have another one that would be my. Um, that I can just write on. Mm. Sometimes you see those uh, halfway high-tech slates with uh, the digital numbers on it, with the time that code. That is my third slate. Oh, you have one of those. <laughs> yes, I have one. That is a time code slate, meaning that you can sync uh, time code from the sound department to it. Mm. So the numbers that come up on the slate when you open up the sticks basically correlates to the time code that's on the camera and the time code that's on the sound recorder's Recorded, device, yeah. mm. meaning that they're all in sync, mm. so to speak. Mm. And when you clap the two slates together, basically the time code stops and it will freeze on that particular code mm. for four frames and then it will turn itself off. Mm. So that's how it works. So you can always see what the time code is because mm -hmm. there will be four frames of it. But then also in that one, with that one, because I thought it was so cool, <laughs> such a loser. Uh, <laughs> It's also that it could light up in the back. So oh. if you were in a dark environment, you didn't have to use a torch. Mm. Or Sorry, they say torch in Australia, but like a flashlight. Yeah. So you wouldn't have to use a flashlight on the slate to see what it says. Mm. You just press a button and the whole uh, display just lights up. Oh, yeah. Okay. To, mm. Like from uh, like it's backlit. Mm. Uh, but obviously they cost $2,000 or like 10,000, 11,000 Swedish crowns. So it's a little bit... Obviously, you have wow. to be very careful with them. Mm -hmm, yeah. And they're not really useful all the time. But on certain mm. things, there are. But mm. I haven't used it in years. And then uh, what I was getting to, because you asked the thing about the iPad slate, yeah. is that I have actually, for small inserts mm -hmm. and like smaller shots where a slate is too big, sometimes I'll have an insert slate, but they're fairly big too. So what I would have is I have a... An app that I bought when I was in film school ages and ages and ages ago called like Movie Slate, mm. which turned out to be a fantastic slate, which is more like the slate that they've used on the iPad on the thing you're on. Yeah. And with that, I can put it into like, you know, because I've done a lot of crime stuff like you and I did the bridge together. Mm, yeah. And that's extremely helpful because I really like it. Because if you're shooting a phone, mm. You have to get like a phone in there yeah. to focus on it. And then it has, obviously, because you're using your iPhone. And my mm. iPhone is on airplane mode all the time anyways. Mm. So uh, I can always adjust uh, the intensity of it. So yeah, it's yeah. not too yeah. overexposed. So mm, they can mm, see it. Mm. And you like if you want to be technical about it, you could buy an attachment. And you could actually feed time code into that phone. So the time code on the phone is the one that is correct with the cameras wow. and the sound devices. But like... I'm not that much of a nerd, and thank God no, none of the uh, soundies were either. They were just like, just put time of day, that's fine. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And time of day, for no one that knows, it's self-explanatory. It's basically uh, the time code will have 
what the actual time of the day is mm. ish you get it from the sound recordist mm. so if we, if it's 1603 mm. the time code would say 1603 and then seconds uh, yeah. yeah, it's just to identify which sound they were using at the time and blah blah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that's what a clapper is mainly known for. But the clapper or the second AC is also known for uh, assisting uh, uh, the focus puller. So any gear mm. that they need, they will have it on, like obviously, like usually a mag liner, or they have everything organized with filters and cards mm. and uh, extra equipment and accessories and so forth. But obviously, it's all also extremely important with uh, maintaining raw cards. So mm. the cards that come out of the camera are then taken and you know marked up that they've exp- they've been exposed. They're put into a little plastic thing. You, you put it in a safe place until the DIT comes along, and then they get the cards, and they'll give other cards back that will be green and so forth. Mm. Uh, and also, they maintain battery charge. So the cameras don't die all of a sudden? No, yeah. Because even if cameras are fast now to boot up and so forth, you know, if Brad Pitt is standing in front of you and doing like an an amazing performance Mm. where he goes off script and just suddenly breaks down crying and Mm. the camera just dies, you're That's on you, yeah. Yeah, that's basically on the clap-a-loader. It's no one else's fault. Because it seems like an obvious thing where you're like, like people who don't work in film or who are just students or, you know, dabble in like n- not like as professional stuff. Mm. They're like, but uh, the camera operator can see the levels and the focus puller can see sure. the levels. Yeah. And like every fucking else person. Mm. Can I swear? Sure. Yes. I just put in explicit <laughs> in the descriptions. So it's fine. Can you make it like a noise stuff like a cow? I or? can, but, you know, even more work. <laughs> okay, let's not do it. But um, basically, there's so many monitors on set nowadays. And if you have like... Um, a video video assist um, company, they actually can f- uh, broadcast it on a like streaming, live streaming, so you can actually look at your phones and whatever. But nobody looks at the vaults, mm. and nobody cares because they're mm. that's not their job. No, no, no. I mean, uh, of course, if you have a lot of money and on a big production, mm. the more people, the better, because you just have to focus on your thing, and then there's less margin for error. Exactly. And uh, but of course. On the other end of the spectrum, if you don't have a lot of money and you're trying to do much with little, then I suppose you have to yeah, try to do then, everything yourself. Then basically, like, everyone on set pulls their own weight. But, like, on bigger things. Mm. I mean, I, I was on a set just yesterday, and there was one cinematographer, so he had to, you know, yeah, think about all that yeah. stuff. He was off his feet for 17 hours, because that was a long day. Yeah, like, that. it's a jolly good time, but it's also very stressful, because... Yeah, you've done that. Yeah, I've done it heaps of times. It was like, what, what you don't realize is that when you get assistance, and people that say, all right, I can do everything myself, is that they actually alleviate, they will just do another thing that is occupying your mind suddenly you don't have mm. to think about pulling your own focus yeah because there's another person doing that yeah so you can do what you do better exactly everyone else is there to make your job easier mm. so obviously you can do everything yourself but then you you don't get movies like you know guardians of the galaxy or something no. like this like it's it would uh, be impossible yeah or it wouldn't be impossible it just would be very long <laughs> one sure. person yeah because brad does everything <laughs> and you can visibly see him age 10 years through the course of the film he'll like be boyhood but sci-fi yeah exactly oh my god well that's a good idea actually. oh we should pitch that yeah we should. <laughs> shit i should cut this away and then we write it down as a treatment oh um, 
Um, and also, they, they're... It's also the set etiquette where it's like, this is a person that is, you know, professional. They don't say much. Like a clap, like when I was a clap loader mm. and both in Australia, but I didn't work with that many like famous people or actors or whatever in Australia. But I did like when I got back home here, I worked with a bunch of them uh, on various things. No one would ever remember me when mm -hmm. I met them again when I was a focus puller. Mm, right. And I was like, oh, we worked on uh, Jönsson Ligan, for instance, mm. or um, we worked on this thing. And they're like, what, really? Who are you? And I was like, I was Clapload. Oh, wow, I don't remember you. Mm. But that is, it sounds kind of like horrible, but it's a very complimenting thing to say because Clapload should be <laughs> like extremely quiet. They should not be noticeable. Except uh, when they are actually doing the slate. Exactly, which is fun the first time anyone does it and you're on set and like it's a weird feeling as well because everybody just waits for you to do it mm. so you don't get nervous as much because if you're standing in front of like a hundred people and extras and there's explosions going off and you're like mm. la, 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 and then you hear a market mm. and you clap it together and you run away so it's like for that little second mm -hmm. you're like your time to shine yeah <laughs> It's fun. Well, we have that, uh, you know, that woman who uh, works as a clapper loader, uh, worked with Tarantino on... Oh, uh, the Italian lady. Doris yeah. Bastards. She was funny. She was hilarious. There's but a like, compilation on YouTube with her, which she always, if it's take 32C, she would see, say something on with a letter C. Mm. Are you a clapper loader or a second assistant uh, for a while and to then advance to becoming a focus puller, to then advance to becoming maybe, you know, is, is it a common ladder to climb this if you're a cinematographer? Have you usually done all these things before? Uh, there is no real answer to that anymore. No, ah, okay. Uh, but I will, I will. But it used to be. <laughs> it used to be. I can say that. Um, how it was back in the day was that you have you. It's like this weird thing with the film industry is that you can go to any school and you can get an, any diploma, but like working on set, there's no film school that can really teach you. Basically, back then, you had no other way of learning anything mm. other than by doing. Yeah. So being on set. Mm. Like, good luck getting like a 35 millimeter film camera, go out and shooting something by yourself, mm. like for 30 years ago yeah. or even 40 years ago now. Like, that mm. would not be feasible because film is expensive. Mm. And basically, you there was always like a thing like the idea is that like if you buy a roll of film, mm. you have to buy it three times, and that is how much it costs uh, yeah, 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 after yeah, it's yeah, been processed, yeah, yeah, yeah. purchased, developed, and then you get uh, something. Mm. Uh, so it, you know, if it costs two thousand crowns, then you know mm. six thousand crowns per roll of film, and you only have five minutes. Yeah. So it's a really tough and really hard to learn. So people did everything they could, mm. and then you worked your way up. Mm. So like now I'm a, I'm a trainee, and then I get to take care of the monitors, and then suddenly like I get to like roll some uh, BNC cables or cables, and then suddenly like I, I get to be a clapper loader, and then I get to like after you know three or four years or five or six depending, mm. you get to be a focus puller, and then maybe after six or seven or eight years as a focus puller if you want to mm. because it's a very like it's a very fun uh, profession yeah, you yeah. could mm. become like a camera operator and mm. you know you could be an operator maybe that would be fine with you mm. but then you know after a couple of more years and like yeah i want to be a cinematographer and then you can mm. be a cinematographer yeah yeah but like 
now there's so many ways around it because the cameras are so accessible. Everything is just there. Mm. There's so mm. much, like everything is so much easier now. Like as soon as the DSLRs came along, yeah. like first it was the RED that came along with their camera that made everything feasible. Mm. And for every other camera, uh, tech, people don't know this, like that don't, they're not camera technicians mm. or camera people, but every camera person on the planet working with them i'm not saying shooting with them shooting mm. with them was probably also a pain in the ass but working with reds when they came out mm -hmm. was hell on earth because they were like a 15 year old app no 15 year old pc computer with like a windows system <laughs> like windows mm. 95 or something mm. they had a life of their own they were basically extremely buggy they did all kinds of weird stuff, so much so that on bigger commercials in Australia, they would all, always have two cameras. Not because there were a two-camera shoot, but because mm -hmm. if one of them yeah, fucked yeah, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. they could exchange it. Yeah. Let's say you're on a beach, and the sun's setting, and the model's perfect, and everything's just standy, and you turn on the camera, and it just freezes. Mm. What do you do? Yeah. You just have to have another one there. But with the accessibility of these cheaper cameras and the DSLRs, and basically uh, two manufacturers, one that did <laughs> wanted to have an option for journalists to shoot some video with the DSLRs. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, That was a mistake that just ended up being like the most lucrative thing that ever happened to Canon. Mm. And uh, Red, who was, you know, the, uh, Jim Janner, who owned Oakley, wanted to make cameras. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so these two companies came, uh, came out of nowhere. Yeah and just change the entire market. Yeah. So then everybody had to change the market. Yeah. In the middle of the 2000s. 2000, uh, two, uh, 2008, 2007, Yeah, I, I think it was, yeah. I think yeah. it was around that time when I first heard about a, a RED. And, I think the uh, RED was released in 2000 and uh, January, February, 2008, well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. and then the DSLR uh, explosion was around like 2010. Uh, yeah. from, from then on, uh, I got into it in 2011, so yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, some big, big, big movies started using reds back then. It was like Pirates of the Caribbean was a famous example. Uh, that was uh, that was uh, late because that was on Stranger Tides. The first pirates look very different from the fourth pirates. Yeah, because the first one you have film, and with film you have a living, breathing substitute that has things that happens with it that it decides to yeah. do this is great i got got this on my list and we got into it organically yeah i have film versus digital on my list oh that's so uh, that we we should we should get back on track because i can talk to talk about this for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're gonna but get back to that then absolutely yeah. well what happened with that one is that they've they decided that to shoot as much as possible on 50d or 64d i can't remember which is the extreme like the slow film stock films from mm. uh, 64d was fuji and 50d was kodak i can't remember the numbers of them but whatever mm. uh, and what happens is with like really slow iso or asa film mm. they're they obviously need a crap ton of light yep. but what they also do is that they have the highest resolution ah yeah it's sure. a, a mm. much much sharper image mm. like as in more details mm. with a 50d the grain oh. structure is so small mm. so what happens is you get like a very nice, very crisp, very like subtle uh, noise or grain structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's clean. That's why it could be like you know, people could be like, "Ooh, it could must be, be digital." Yeah, yeah. Because nowadays, I mean, uh, the film versus digital debate has been going on since uh, since this time we were talking about started, and mm -hmm. uh, with. 
Well, for good reason. But a couple of years ago, uh, nowadays, no, almost, you know, we can name a few people who actually want to shoot with film, and they are the biggest names in the business. Uh, but most people just shoot digitally because now we have so much digital res- resolution that you can reproduce every single grain on a film yeah. <laughs> uh, frame. But it's still okay. I see that you have opinions. <laughs> I do have lots and lots. Okay, of but, but first of all, have you yourself worked with film? Yes, I've been a clapper loader, so I've loaded film. Uh, I've focus pulled on film both uh, when I was in the, the film school and uh, as work, both of them, like professionally, like actually earning money by doing it. And I've also shot film. Oh, nice. Okay, so, which means you have to be some kind of uh, um, on the on the cusp of being old school, new school, because you're relatively young, and I, I think a lot of people who work professionally today haven't even touched film. Exactly. This is why, like, I. I'm really happy that I, because I started fairly late. Like I, uh, like I floated around for a while when I was younger. Then I didn't really know what I wanted to do mm. until I realized, like, oh, filmmaking. Preach. That's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I started very late. Like mm. when I was twenty, that's when I was like, oh, I'm gonna make films. Mm. And besides having like an amazingly huge interest in film and how they're made and. All this stuff, I didn't know like directors on, unless I like I liked them. Mm. I didn't know actors unless I liked them. Like mm. I didn't know sure. cinematographers or anything like this. So like obviously that came afterwards. Mm. But um, so I started off very late, and when I did start off, was like it was on the cusp of the change. Things had started being mm. shot digitally, mm. and versus you know shooting on film, and the red and DSLRs helped that. Yeah, but all serious productions and this sounds like a camera douchebag thing to say but i have to say it all serious productions like big Mm. like you know the film cameras even if you get a film camera in front of you now they can be from 20 years ago Mm. it's so simple like they're ridiculously simple you have an arm button and you have a like roll button Mm. that's basically it Mm. And they have what's called an intermittent movement, which is why they cost money. And they shoot film. So the, that the camera is not the hard part. Mm. There's a lot of scary things with it, obviously. Uh, yeah, but a lot of moving parts. Yeah, a lot of moving <laughs> parts. But like in terms of just the simplicity of a camera, a film camera is a hundred times easier than a digital camera. Sure. Because mm. if a film camera breaks down, you can fix it. Mm. If a digital camera breaks down, it's like you have to send it off to the. Yeah, whatever, there's no uh, way anybody mm. can do anything. Um, but, um, so that's why people still used it. And still to this day, like the film analog medium is absolutely perfect for most things because it can handle everything. You can handle highlights and you can handle low lights and shadows and all that underexposure, mm. overexposure, pretty good. Obviously you have what's, you know, the grain structure we're talking about yeah. with underexposure, you get more grain and whatever. And then, and then you need, like you said, a lot, of, a lot of light. If you yeah, if you're using a slow speed film stock, but even a fast speed film stock, the fastest well, there was a f- really fast one with those like 800 ASA that I think Fuji did for the beach, which is a very interesting movie to watch either way because it's Darius Kanji, that's fo- uh, uh, the cinematographer who did Seven and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. a bunch of other amazing movies, mm. and then you have uh, Danny Boyle who's always interesting to watch because he has such crazy ideas. Yeah, yeah. But if you watch it and you know that they shot the, that movie with that film stock. It's not very crisp. It's very noisy in weird places, mm. and very a lot of lot of 
big sources and soft lights and bounces and whatever. Mm. Um, but that got discontinued after like a year mm. and a half because it was way too noisy. Yeah. But uh, so the cameras nowadays are obviously 800 ASA. Mm. So even then, mm. you have like a two thirds of a stop uh, more uh, sensitivity because mm. everything is like in quarters. So 500 ASA, uh, a quarter of a stop higher mm. would be 640. A quarter of a stop higher than that would be 800. Mm. A quarter of a stop higher than that, 500, 1,000. So 500 ASA to 1,000 ASA, that's one stop. Mm. I told you were right. It was going to be technical. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's not even technical. But... Um, I'm um, technically enough. Let's leave it uh, yeah. at that level. I think. <laughs> but um, um, so the big production started shooting with it, but it wasn't really until the camera that basically changed everything, like on a professional level, came out, which is the Ari, the Ari Alexa. Alexa, uh, yeah. The Ari- I, I love that camera actually. <laughs> Everybody loves that camera. It's like basically Ari was going to go bankrupt. Ah, because yeah. they had done a few digital cameras. They did a camera called a D20, mm-hmm, a D21. Okay. I, never, I don't think they went any further. Then they looked fine. They were like very nice cameras. But they weren't an alternative. They were, you know, clumsy and cumbersome. Yeah. And I think they were like prototypes because they were trying to mm. figure out what to do. Mm. And everything was riding on this digital camera. Yeah. How are we going to do this? We have to do a camera that people would want to use instead of film instead of film because most reasons because they were realizing that it was on its way out like yeah but it still have to be a viable uh, option oh yeah absolutely Mm. but it's like fuji stopped discontinued uh, film uh, like fuji film the analog fuji film just because they realized like there were still films going around they were like we're this is just gonna we're just gonna go backwards on Mm, this mm. so they stopped process like doing any film manufacturing anymore and kodak just went like yeah we have the whole market and you know kodak is not what they used to be Mm. because there's no way shooting on it so with the air alexa they needed to have a camera that was really comfortable for you know the high-end market Mm. Equipment that can have take all the accessories they want to have industry contacts, industry plugs, like yeah. standardized things. Mm. Everybody's using their lamps. Yes. Mm. So well, lots of it. Anyways. Yeah. They weren't out going out of business anytime soon. I felt like, but when it comes to cameras, yes, lights Maybe. are cheap. Cameras are expensive. Okay. Okay. Like mm. I'm, I'm not saying like a, you know, a 40k light bulb isn't like ridiculously expensive. I'm but it's compared to, yeah. Mm. Compared to cameras and lenses and all that, that's where they earn the money. And uh, so they introduced this camera that has the most organic tone to it. Mm. Like it doesn't look digital the first time you saw it. No, exactly. That's what I felt when I saw it the first time. It's uh, like very organic and it has to do with how they decide to record information. Mm. And actually their noise structure is the first time, you know, you saw something shot and it's like, oh, this noise structure is kind of like yeah. appealing because it's not really noise as in like, you know, digital noise you get on, you know, when you're underexposed or whatever, mm. or with any digital camera, if you don't do what the, if you don't work for the camera. And the Alexa did not. And yeah. in the beginning, because I tested it out a lot, like when the when the Alexa first came out, when people actually got it. When was that? Around 2010 something? 2010, 2029, yeah, I think. 2010, right. 29. Because uh, people were talking about it because Aerie is Aerie. People mm. were like, fuck, what have mm. they done? And uh, 
you couldn't actually record on the SBS card slots because they weren't. Uh, yeah, it was weird. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't um, uh, opened up yet, so you could put in a card, but it would not register the card. So what you would have to do is you'd have to get the information out of the rec uh, rec out outputs. So rec one and two outputs that mm-hmm. would be a dual link that then you can record uncompressed. Mm, so to an external recorder. Yeah, like we do with other things here. This yeah. is just like an extra large mm, thing. Mm. And uh, then the, the SBS card slots started uh, working and people were like, oh, you're just shooting HD. Now we're doing 4K. Mm. And they were absolutely wrong because that was 2010. And mm. now basically 4K is almost, mm, almost becoming like the standardized format. Yeah. But it's not. Not quite, no. No, like all TVs are 4K. But like people don't shoot 4K because the amount mm-hmm. of information you need is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so they were right on the money when they said we're just going to have HD. And what they did was that Red didn't do is that they could actually say that all these pixels are working 100%. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. So yeah. we can say that all mm-hmm. these pixels are working perfectly. Yeah. It's and more important that the pixels uh, are of high quality than the amount of them. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, because also back in the back not back in the day, but if you get a um, if you get a 4K uh, frame with a pixel array, then basically for 4K resolution you need a lot of pixels, and obviously the same kind of a, like I'm not that technical with this stuff. I try to read it, but it's so ridiculously boring that I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't make myself do it. But gotcha. you can do an al- analogy, which is. If you just think about it, because the photosynthesize, sens- sens- mm. or whatever mm. they're called, they need to be a certain, like, they're a certain size, right? Mm. So if you got a 16 by 9 sensor, mm. a 16 by 9 sensor is a 16 by 9 sensor. It's always that size, mm. which is 24 millimeters by, what is it, 16 millimeters or something? Mm, this is no Academy right. Academy standard crap that mm, I forget yeah. all the time. Mm. But that's the size of a 60 by 9 sensor, mm. which the Red has and the Alexa had. The same thing. Mm. They're standardized. It's a standard. Mm. Like, everything is a standard. Like, mm. we use metric and uh, Americans use imperial. Mm. It's different standards. So they can't get bigger or smaller. It's so kind they, of funny that they are like standard film cameras, but they're not f- full full frame sensors, what everybody is like going crazy about. It needs to be 35 millimeter. Yeah, uh, but th- 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 35 millimeter film has always been that size. Yeah. Stills cameras, where they say full frames, because stills camera film is larger. Stills camera film, I know the size of, which is 24 by 36 millimeter. Uh-huh. It's almost okay. like double the size, mm. which is like what people would say, like a 5D or like a full frame camera. Like the one you're looking at? Right yeah, like thing? that one, I think. Yes. Uh, that is uh, 24 by 36 millimeters, meaning that it will have a much shallower depth of field because the size of the sensor is bigger, mm. meaning that it gets tougher, it gets harder, and you can't shoot wide open because nothing's going to be a focus. Yeah, unless you want that, and that is a cinematic look like a lot of people are after. Oh, yeah, absolutely, but crappy fo- focus pulling is nothing that you want to see. <coughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> it's like, you know, searching for it, it's not very good. Mm. But, um, uh, sorry, back to the thing. So 16 by 9 sensor has the same size no matter where the manufacturer is. Mm. And what happens then is that if you have a 4K sensor and you have an HD sensor, then what are you going to do when you're pushing out a 4K image? Well, this is what happens. The photosensitives or sensors, if I can say it, they're, they must be smaller because there's more of them. Yeah. So what happens Cram is that the reds weren't really good in low light uh-huh. in mm. the beginning. Mm. Also because they were very slow. But 
uh, with a larger resolution, you generally get a crisper, nicer image, but low light situations are not as good in mm. the beginning. Mm. While the Alexa in the beginning had uh, output HD, 1920 by 1080, but the, f uh, the actual sensor array was like 2.5K, uh, which was, oh no, two, well, 2880 by 2160, no, because that's 4.3. Anyway, uh, screw it. It was something like that in the beginning, it was 2.5K sensor that would downsample to HD. So mm -hmm. it would capture a more information, but it mm -hmm. will always go mm -hmm. down to a less resolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meaning that the quality of the HD file is better than the quality of the Red's 4K file. In the beginning. In I don't really beginning, know what right. it is now because mm. um but or I know what it is now, but it's just it's gotten so complicated because now all cameras are fantastic. Really. Yeah, pretty much. So like mm. they're so amazing. Mm. Uh but yeah, that's why I was saying that maybe now digital actually have surpassed film in and many ways. My answer to that is no. No, still no. <laughs> <laughs> because, but, but okay, but they're you know they're more light sensitive and still have, they have more oh, yeah. pixels than grains and oh, yeah. so so. Yeah. But the digital cameras have something that the film cameras don't, which is that they have a built-in noise reduction. Most mm. of them have that, which means that. Like they're not, they must be softening the image in some way, but it goes on in the process. Now, I'm, now I'm talking about recording onto a card. I'm not talking about recording directly from the sensor, which is what we would call raw recording. Yeah. But you're recording yeah. into a card, so you come from yeah. like you're compressing the signal anyway. Some algorithm must go on to exactly. put it on the, yeah. to okay. put it on yeah. this little uh, piece. Mm. But nobody shoots uh, like raw because it would take up way too much space or what? No. Uh, in Sweden, not a lot of people shoot raw. All right. Okay. Like for the for what I've worked on, uh, mostly everything I worked on here, mm. nobody shoots raw because they they always say it's too expensive. Mm. I worked a lot with the Ita Sobraniec site that mm -hmm. I can't pronounce because mm -hmm. I'm not Polish and if she hears this she'll punch me in the face <laughs> uh, no. but no she's fantastic but um, she she's always very adamant of shooting on raw and writes mm. rightly so because it's a film medium and yeah. shooting 1920 by 1080 is fine for TV and you know you can say it's fine for movies as well but there is a softness mm. to the image and there is a Loss of um, dynamic range because the raw file does have more dynamic range. Mm. Um, so shooting for a feature in HD or even like in 2K or whatever, 3.2K or Ultra HD or whatever you want, <clears throat> like you will have a resolution, but you won't have information. So when she decides, because everything she does has been on raw, mm. like I've done, I did, how many moves have I done with her? I did... Yalden, then I, I've done a bunch of shorts, and I did Krieg that was just released this last, uh, this December mm -hmm. or October, I think. The War Game? Yeah, I think it's called uh, War Game in English. The, the War Game, yeah. Yeah. I got the list here. It's a kid's movie. And, uh, uh, Un, Aga, whatever, the Icelandic name, and Breathe Normally, which was raw mm -hmm. and so forth. And Okay, okay. There is, like... Then you have the information. You have the information. You have... Yeah. You, because you can do anything. You can do anything in posts. You can do like a that. lot in posts. Yeah. 
and the image is sharper and it looks better and you have mm. like more flexibility all the you, all the gradients are super smooth yeah and, but uh, it's like it's things that like not even i like i have a hard time seeing mm, yeah like the difference but <laughs> yeah, that, yeah yeah sure that's another thing i mean i know people who work in projection like work in cinemas and stuff and mm. they say well above um Oh, what's the step below 4K? It's like 2000 something, something, a standard uh, cinema. What is 2K? 2K is. It's slightly 2056 over 2056 by. Fuck. I don't yes. remember. Yeah, something. Something, something. They say that above that, you can't tell any difference unless you are on like row three in a cinema. The 4K is. Well, no. You, well, you the can barely notice it. The perceived resolution of humans aren't. I can't remember what it is, but it's not, we don't really see the world in 4K anyways. No. And what we see, like what people say is resolution, which is, you know, you turn on the TV and someone's bumped up the sharpness to a thousand. They're yeah. like, ooh, I That's can contrast. see everything. Well, it's not information. <laughs> it's, no, no. It's just like, it's, um, what's it called? It's uh, sharpening edges. Yeah, so forth. which is basically contrast between yeah. pixels. So, exactly. you, so you perceive it as... Uh, like if you... As... Uh, Sharpness, yeah. Yeah. If you jump between HD and 4K, like I, I got a new TV. Did you see the new TV? I think, yeah, I did. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, I think so. Did we watch it on that? Well, d didn't you get a, a PlayStation Pro just because oh, you had yeah. a 4K TV? No, I got a, I got a 4K TV because I got a PlayStation Pro. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so ridiculous. Anyways. That makes um, sense. So I, 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 and that's a true 4, no, it's not actually a true 4K TV. It's a 3846 by whatever. For, uh, Ultra HD is not called 4K because it's not native 4K because it's not above 4,000 pixels. Wow. Anyways, that's, it's, it's not too messy. Yeah. It's not 4096 by 2160 or something like that. I can't remember. There's mm -hmm. uh, just a bunch of numbers. Yeah. Anyways, um, but I, I tried and I, I went through uh, watching a Blu-ray on HD and then jumping to 4K on YouTube because I yeah. couldn't watch it there. Mm -hmm. Um and that was, you know, I was like, wow, this is kind of good. But then after all, I was like, I don't see a difference. There is more information. But obviously, you're also watching something that's compressed because it's streaming and it's 4K. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, you have more information on the Blu-ray, even the resolution is less. And on the YouTube, you have yeah. to be more compressed. And even playing like so, Horizon Zero Dawn yeah. in HDR mode yeah, yeah. with 4K on looks like incredibly crazily like amazing like the color mm. information that you get on 4k with hdr is incredible mm. well let's not go into hdr because i'm not really sold on it mm -hmm. i like the amount of colors you get like the more information on that but i really don't like what it does with overexposure and underexposure uh, because it just just doesn't look pleasing to me but jumping from that which is 4k to some of the hd it's just like well i don't see a difference mm. But it was interesting what you said about our perceived resolution, what we see yes. with our eyes. Because just yesterday, I think I watched a, a, a British show and a, a comedian said he was in, a, in an electronics store yeah. and uh, saw a 4K television. And he was like, the TV was sharper than the store, yeah. than reality. And you, you, it's not a joke, you say. No. It's actually true. Well, what it is, like, there is something called perceived sharpness and then mm. there's sharpness. So sharpness is obviously a thing you have on your on you have on Instagram like you have it on anything anybody that has a phone that edits pictures mm. just so people understand can slide a sharpness uh, dial up and down and they'll see what it does mm. 
that is not realistic and you can tell yeah, yeah, because no. people start looking ridiculous yeah. and like they start glowing because they're getting you know the contrasts are getting like saturated so and stuff. Yeah. yeah and um well that's like sharpness as a tool but a sharp image like a 4k sharp image uh, has something else because it's recording information but in the beginning if you remember there was a movie before the digital creation had started happening that michael mann did called public enemies mm -hmm. which in my opinion would be a fantastic movie if they would have shot on film right that looks horrible in my opinion i mm. think it's it's a one of the shittier movies michael mann has done and michael mann is a 50 percent genius and 50 percent a, a shitty director because he will make movies like Heat, which is mm. some of the most amazing cinema you've ever seen. Mm. And then he'll do Miami Vice. Yeah. <laughs> which is, oh yeah, Collateral is fantastic. Mm. Right? Miami Vice is like crap. So Public Enemies was shot digitally. Mm. And what happened was that that was when uh, actually like in the beginning, the cameras would capture information. It would capture sharpness. Mm. And it was a Sony camera they used. And Sony cameras are... The are F something. F not F65, or maybe F65. Oh, yeah, F65 sounds... No, it wasn't okay. released about that. It wasn't part. released, okay. But, like, what happened was that there's a... I remember there's a picture of uh, Johnny Depp, like a close-up, and it looked fucking shit. Because, mm. like, it's a big uh, close-up of him on a mm. giant movie screen. Mm. Takes place in the 20s or something, I think. Because yeah, or guns. 30s. 20s, 30s, uh, like somewhere around there yeah. in the States. And the camera was so sharp. That you started seeing everything. You could see where they mm -hmm. cut his beard. Mm -hmm. You could see where they missed a part with makeup. Yeah. Like it looked so bad because yeah. the human face with a resolution that is not like that is just recording information mm. doesn't look very nice. Yeah, which is something yeah. that Alexa didn't do, where no. it would record information yeah. but would have a softness quality it to it. Beautified. Not beautify, but it would just not be as sharp. Like no. it is. Well, sharp. when it comes to human faces, it would beautify in that case. You know, it wouldn't. Yeah, well, I, like not to. So I'm saying something incorrect, but it wouldn't soften the image. But it wouldn't. I guess I can't. Like I don't know what the like how like the technical information. Mm. But it looked mm. like the cameras had built-in sharpness that came with it mm. on the footage. Mm. But the newer cameras, they don't. Mm. Or the Alexa. Or even film, like with a film medium, it's always soft, which is one of the reasons why it's actually easier to pull focus yeah. on film right, right. as opposed to digital. Because mm. in digital, you're like, that's soft because you yeah. can see it. Yeah, instantly. Instant. Off, yeah. Mm. But with film, like I've done some shitty focus pulls on films mm. that for one reason or another, and you watch it back, you're like, wow. Mm this you can't see it because yeah. it's no. the image itself is a little soft yeah so oh, and, and also mm. i'm a pedantic crazy person like every dp i've ever had they're sure. like <laughs> no that's no we're not re redoing it that's not soft like okay. I'll, I'll be like oh, I was soft. But you can see it yeah it's soft there when she turns around and you see her eye and they're like mm. nobody will think it's soft yeah but come on i, I see out of focus shots in like la la land so i know that poor guy <laughs> What the hell is up with that? Like? Because it's film and they probably just moved a centimeter. They're shoot yeah, they were shooting yeah. with um, uh, Panavision lenses and they were shooting like... Uh, well, they were, no, they were shooting regular 35, but on anamorphics. And it's really shallow depth of field. Yeah. So either the actress moved or the camera moved yeah, yeah, or someone something. bumped it. Mm. Like, because two, three centimeters will make a world of a difference. Yeah. And and, I, but I noticed. <laughs> yeah, I know. It uh, sucks. But at the same time, it almost won best film. So, 
you oh, know, but... in the end, it doesn't really matter that much to the end product, you know. But well, it matters to you because it's your job. Let's put it this way: yeah. it won best cinematography. Yeah, so it did. It really exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. It really doesn't matter because it's, <laughs> it doesn't like. You know, I've I've seen a lot of shitty soft focus shots for me. Like, uh, there's two movies I've I've done quite recently uh, that are both kids movies. Mm. The uh, the first one was uh, Krieg mm. or War Games, the War Game with Ita, and the other one is a science fiction that's coming out in October called Alone in Space, which is quite cool. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed that uh, process. Uh, both of them were two times anamorphic meaning that there is full anamorphic. And if people don't know here, there's two types of lenses. It's the regular lenses called mm -hmm. a spherical. Mm -hmm. That's a category lenses. And then you have another type of lens called anamorphic. And mm -hmm. anamorphic lenses are, uh, in layman's term, or just explaining it uh, very simple, like a simplified explanation, mm -hmm. is that what they will do is they will push a certain amount of information onto a certain amount of, uh, like a certain area. Yeah, a sensor or a yeah, piece or of film. Yeah, or a piece of film. So like, let's say, a two-timed anamorphic lens would squeeze uh, the horizontal plane two times, mm. so it would could be recorded onto a single frame of film yeah. that would then be de-squeezed afterwards. Mm. And what this would do is that you would get the entire area of the film, so no film would go to waste. Mm. Because when you shot film, you would frame for 60 by 9, but a still like a film frame is larger, obviously, than a sixteen by nine. It's quite large, mm. so sixteen by nine would be like waste of film, depending if you were shooting four perf or three perf or two perf. Like mm. this is getting complicated, but I'm just trying to get to a point. Mm. Uh, I lost myself. What did you say? You were talking about you were just explaining anamorphic. Oh yeah, thank you. Uh, so then you would have so a four perf anamorphic would have the entire area of the uh, image recorded onto it. And then you would mm. de-squeeze it. That would have the maximum amount of resolution mm. and the finest grain structure because you're squeezing in information mm. and then you de-squeeze it and then all the grain kind of like disappears. Yeah, and then you have this uh, very cinematic aspect ratio over this wide image. Yes, that you, you automatically have 239 to 1. Yeah, uh, and you can tell uh, if you're looking for it because of... Um, uh, a really big light source is yes. a bokeh in background. Uh, and they the can biggest, be oval. And the biggest giveaway, like because widescreen, like two three nine to one aspect ratio, that you can get that. Like you, I can do it on my phone. Mm. Like you can get it anywhere. Mm. Uh, with anamorphic, it automatically gets that size. So basically, you really have no leeway up or down, depending mm. on what you're shooting. But mm. let's just say, like in a regular situation, you can't really adjust the frame in any way. Mm. But uh, um, so it will automatically look like that. But a lot of films look like that. But highlights or torches or flashlights or anything like that, they will do what is the most giveaway trait, which is the horizontal streaks, yeah. the, f the flares. Like if you've mm. seen a Michael Bay movie or like Transformers mm. uh, or like the first Blade Runner, uh, where oh, yeah. you have these Good horizontal example. anamorphic flares, that's mm. what is, is an anamorphic lens. Mm. And they do a bunch of other things. They're a little bit softer and they're like in, in in quality so everything looks a lot like nicer mm. also they have a bunch of defects the streaks being one of them and then obviously the highlights in the background become oval shaped mm. instead of like circular or the bokeh or bokeh or whatever so both those films were two times anamorphic squeeze with mm. kids mm. 
this means that we're not going to rehearse a lot. No. And <laughs> it's two times anamorphic, meaning also, I'm not, I'm not going to go into details, but a 50 millimeter anamorphic is more like a 25 millimeter in Super 35 land, uh-huh. like regular. So if you put the 50 millimeter on, you it will look like a 25 millimeter, like the, the field of view. Hmm. The problem is it will have... <laughs> it will have the depth of field of a 50 millimeter mm. what that means is that it will be as like has it will be as shallow depth of field as a 50 mil mm. but it's it's twice as wide mm. so if you get 100 mil that's a 50 mil but it's like a 50 mil with 100 mils depth of field yeah what that means is that everything gets really hard to pull focus on like extremely hard Mm. Uh, but with Krieg and because it was Ita, we didn't really we didn't shoot wide open. We were really close at some points, but we never shot wide open. So it becomes a little easier. With a science fiction movie, mm. we were wide open basically all the time. Mm. And it's like when the DP turns around to you and says, like, good luck. Or like <laughs> he says like T two point three, good luck. And then he just like Ooh. goes into it. Ooh. And it's so there's that a lot of open, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of like for people that don't understand, it's like shooting with a five D with kids. Mm, like mm. a wide open on a 50 mil at one point like 1.2 it's yeah and you really, have a you have a sharpness depth of feel that's like a half an inch or something yeah, basically and uh it's really it's really difficult and with kids you can't really do marks you can't tell them to go stand somewhere like mm, you have a six-year-old mm. kid that has never been in a movie and you have an 11 year old that you know mm. has never been on a big movie either you're almost pulling focus on a documentary you are pulling focus on a documentary, right, basically. Right, right, right. So what happened was with Krieg, because Ita and Goran, the director, obviously they are more constructed pictures. I'm mm-hmm. not saying the science fiction movie isn't that either, but like they'll have a picture and sometimes like it will be easy. Or I'm not saying easy, but it will be like more normal mm-hmm. or no, more what should be normal. Mm. Uh, but then sometimes... There will be um, sceneries will be like this person comes in from the door and then he goes into a close up and then we pull focus to someone else behind him and then the camera whip pans to someone else and then it's a steady so we move around. Like, that becomes very, very difficult. And I'm not afraid to say it because every everybody does it now. Now with everything, all of the technological improvements has happened with wireless HD video. Yeah. People started doing life hacks that then turn into actual equipment, which mm. is you would take a wireless follow focus unit, which mm. is a thing that is wireless that you pull focus with. So if you turn the knob, the lens will turn on the camera that's mm. somewhere else. Mm. You would put on this little uh, wireless device a monitor that would be battery driven, and you would uh, clamp onto that a receiver for a um, certain uh, wireless HD uh, device. That would then go into the the monitor, so you would have your mm. own little picture. Yeah, and this is the Very only. Good. Yeah, it's amazing, and it's nothing like oh, real people pull focus by using the eye. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can do that too. Mm. But we have kids, and they're doing whatever they want. Mm. And on the sci-fi movie, a lot of the movie was on a gimbal, like mm. a Melvi or a Ronin. Mm. In this case, it was like the more professional uh, variety. Which was an art, like a what was it called? A Seckler Artemis Maxima rig, mm. which is a fantastic piece of equipment mm. that is extremely easy to work with. Mm. But it also enables a DP to do whatever like they want. Right, they can right. move around, and mm. like it was all kinds of things, and it was handheld. 
So it becomes extremely hard to pull focus. Mm. And, you know, I've seen stuff from it and both like, I think the sci-fi is probably a little bit softer than I would like, but the only thing you can do is just try to be prepared and just do your best. And I think mm. it fits with the story through the film because I am, uh, you know, I keep my shittiness throughout the movie. <laughs> so it will be like consistent. Movie, yeah. The movie will be consistent, <laughs> consistently shitty. Uh, no, the movie will be like the movie will be good, but my work might be crap. But then again, if you see it, I, I'm, I'm very known for being extremely hard on myself. I'm very, I'm not forgiving of anything I do. Right. And at the same time, it's uh, on the director as well. If the director's happy with the shot, then, all right, then he's like semi-responsible for the results. Yeah. Instead of just going, we have to do that again because the fucking focus was soft. You know. But like basically, on the two last movies, the sci-fi film, we never had, we had to do it again because of focus or nobody ever said that. No, okay. Like ever. All right. So I was like, <laughs> I said it a lot of the times and mm. then, you know, the DP and I would discuss it very quickly because mm. I've worked with him so many times. Oh, yeah, we, yeah. Mm. we basically know each other very well. And usually it wasn't a problem. And sometimes you're just like, well, it is what it is. Because mm. I'm not going to demand that the DP change the aperture. He should he should be free to work any which way he wants to, and I just have to deal with it. Mm. And like, as long you know, he doesn't have to be a mean, like a bad person about it, and like nothing like that. But it's like he's the boss. Mm. And you know, if anybody comes up to me and say like, "Oh, it was kind of sh like soft looking movie," and it's like, yeah, but it was kids. It was not improvised. It was mm. not. Mm. But they do whatever they want. Yeah. Sometimes they will run to the camera when they're supposed to slowly walk. Mm. And sometimes, you know, like actors have a tendency to repeat things after a while. Like they'll just mm. do the same thing, mm. which is fantastic because mm. then you start getting into the mood of things. But kids will, you know, they will, they, you know, they live. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. They do whatever they do. They're feel a bit like. more rock and roll. Uh, yeah, exactly. Jazz. So, <laughs> yeah. So it will, it will be. It, it it's going to be what it's going to be. Mm. But I'm obviously selling it down because I'm a very hard person on myself. Mm -hmm. I'm very critical sure, sure. on my own work. <laughs> um, but I'm really looking forward to actually watching it because I think it's going to be a fantastic, uh, great, like yeah, a yeah, fantastic yeah. movie because yeah. it's like... There's the effects and models and stuff. And well, it's yeah. the first Swedish sci-fi film. Like first proper Okay. Oh, Did you a, know this? Well, no, not really. I Alone mean, in space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talked about it, but like the first Swedish sci-fi, it depends on how you view it. Like uh, well, we had Candy Starfighter, didn't we? <laughs> that is true. We also we don't, well, we also had uh, De Vita Folket, which I haven't seen. The White People. Oh, okay. No, which I don't is, know what that is. Yeah, it's the one that was. Um, I really want to see it. Uh, it it's old or not old? It's like two three years. But it's the one where like white people in the future are deemed. Uh, uh, like it's reverse of uh, okay, the so race. Yeah, yeah. They're all in jail or something. Mm, mm. Uh, but it, like it's a it's a Swedish sci-fi. But like uh, Alone in Space is like the first proper Swedish sci-fi. Oh, cool. They build models that were like larger than this table, which mm. is like almost... Bigatures, basically. Yeah, basically. Mm. Bigatures that we shot for a whole day, mm. just doing swoops of this spaceship that was going to fly around in space. Lovely. And then we did, ugh, we did mm. so much. It was really cool. It was a really complicated movie, but it was really fun. Like we had an indoor set that when it was lit and turned on and mm. the entire studio was filled with haze, it looked like any movie you grew up watching. Yeah. It really mm. looked like mm. Aliens. It looked like Blade Runner. Mm. It looked mm. like mm. 
sunshine at times like it was mm, it was just mm. mind-blowing wonderful that's in, those in are the, the kind of sets you want to be on yeah but the, the that's funny why we're thing doing is, this <laughs> because we're not used to this right we're in sweden we're not yeah. like uh, i've done one of those big sci-fi films where yeah, you have done a really cool sci-fi movie yeah it's pretty good <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty good and actually uh short anecdote just because you were talking about uh the remote focus pulling oh yeah uh, uh the focus puller on snowpiercer actually turned up and shot once because he couldn't keep up with the camera because they were running with a steady cam and he was in his 60s and a little bit oh, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny yeah that happens it happened on the another production i was on when I was a clapper loader, that the the focus puller, who was a genius, mm. like he was such a lovely, terrific person, and really funny and cute, and he he could pull focus like a champion. Mm. But what happens is when you reach a certain age, because things start moving along, and like now with digital, everybody has a monitor. So what happens mm. is we're making it harder for ourselves to work, like by by doing all these things, like the mm. whole remote monitor system mm. thing. Mm. You're always aware what the DP's doing. You're always aware what the actors are doing. So if mm-hmm. the actor moves forward a little bit or backwards a little bit, you can compensate because you see it. Yeah. You see that yeah, it's yeah. not sharp. Yeah. And the DP can be like, like a little bit more flexible. And with this person in question, he he was not used to that way of working. And mm. I think it was like, and he's done some amazing, like amazing movies as a focus. But like you see mm. like, oh my God, this guy's like top of the top. Mm. Because when it comes down to it, focus pulling is focus pulling. There's apparently like this super duper famous Swedish focus puller that was such a fantastic focus puller. Like, you could pull focus on like, um, what's that movie where Harrison Ford plays the president? Oh, oh Air Force. Yeah. Air Force One? Yeah. Was that one? Oh. He was a focus puller on that. Oh. And apparently like he was a focus pulling on like a crap little things because he was apparently so good. All right. Uh, because it's, it's basically just turning a knob and knowing what where things are. And he... He died in, apparently in a, in a helicopter accident. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's this Danish, other Danish focus puller, not this one, but another Danish focus puller who was also like known for being absolutely like a genius. Like he could just uh, like he could stand and like listen to people walk, and then he knew where they were. Wow! But almost also, like a sixth sense of yeah, the, like he knows like the speed. But then mm-hmm. again, like you know, sometimes when I hear that, it's like, oh, that's really amazing. But then you go like, but wait, this is like back in the day when it was film cameras, so it couldn't really be all out crazy. Mm-hmm. And it could be that you're shooting 16 mil. And then I was like, well, I'm going to just do this for this whole day. Because sometimes you get bored and you mm-hmm. <laughs> want to you do something. So like as a focus puller. Try yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would do. I'd be like, today I'm not looking at the monitor. Mm-hmm. So I always look back, it's so sharp. But it's like, and obviously at certain times you have to have the monitor. But if it's constructed in a way and the actors doing what they're supposed to do and the, the camera movements are supposed to do, it's actually quite lovely. Like mm. it's easy and you fall into it and you kind of just feel it. Mm. And sometimes it's muscle memory. Like if that sci-fi movie wasn't like hard enough, the movie I did after that, the one I talked to you about mm. we start, uh, before we started this, which was a Swedish, um, new Swedish movie that's coming out probably October or something. Jon Ivy de Linkus was the author of Let the Right One In. Yes. He's also author of this book called Grenz or Border. Yeah, Border, yeah. And uh, which was then uh, written by the director and or adapted by the director and some other person into like a movie script. And it's I'm not going to tell talk too much about it. Mm. But basically that entire movie is going to look absolutely nuts like it's not going to look like anything you've ever seen mm-hmm. because it's basically shot in a very interesting manner but that was also 
every single setup. We never did more than once. Mm. Every single setup, we shot the first thing, so not no rehearsals. Mm. And uh, uh, we were on like we weren't wide open all the time. Like the DP was a little bit nice, but we started off just being on the twenty five. We'd be on the twenty five mil in a wide shot that mm. would end up being like two decimeters away from the actor's face. And mm -hmm. if you're on 25 mil, then it doesn't mm -hmm. matter how great you are pulling focus. It is indescribably hard. Mm -hmm. And without this way of working that I had where the monitor on the thing, mm -hmm. on the, uh, the wireless control, you focus uh, the wireless follow focus, I would not be able to do it. It mm -hmm. would be impossible. Mm -hmm. And even if there was like a Hollywood focus puller, they would not be able to do it. No. Like it's just, like everything was improvised everybody was moving everything like the actors were free to do whatever they want uh they just whatever and mm. like it was ridiculously hard but in a, in a, in a mm. point there it's like after doing these two kids movies you kind of just relax and it's not anamorphics which is nice but you're just kind of like you get in the moment and you know like if it's soft then it's soft there's a lot mm. of wide shots and as long as you have good eyesight yeah, I suppose that's a given. I kind of I found that I've um, I kind of collect cameras uh, as an actor because I, mm. I like because I like the technical side of uh, mm. what we do. So I in my mind collect like what which cameras have you know filmed me. <laughs> so I I had that as a little game. I think you uh, you represent two of those uh, firsts. You know, you were the first to shoot me with an was it a red epic red epic yes it was wasn't it like uh, uh the music video yeah you we did a music video yeah that yeah, was the red your was stuff red was really good like i'm i'm really happy about oh, your fun. stuff mm. but like the camera was uh, the camera was fine yeah, yeah. and then you mean mm. the all oh, the earths do you yeah you the earths are many Ursa? right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. that was also first yeah, we're, you know, we're going to uh, have that released sometime <laughs> yes in sometime in the future i think i'm going to cut away mm. the gun thing I like the gun, like when you you scratch yourself like on the head with it. Oh but yeah, 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 sure. It just yeah. became mm. so dramatic. Mm. But I, I like I'm so silly because when I did it, I actually wrote down what I wanted to do, mm. but I didn't bring that with me. So like when I came home like remember, two yeah. weeks ago, mm. I was rereading what I've written. I was like, oh, I wanted to end with Peter lying on the floor in a fetal position, and I'm like, oh, we never did that. No, why did I do that? It'd be so like, because now hmm. I like I either you shoot yourself in the head. Oh, wait, sorry, we we came off topic. Yeah, yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah, it's very mm. dark. Mm. Very, I'm I'm so deep. another music video. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite, uh, the camera I'm most proud of is uh, back to film, is the, the Arri cam. Uh, Which one did you use on, as an Arri cam ST or an LT on uh, Snowpiercer? Uh, really I, I, I mean, I, I stood staring at the fucking camera to remember it one day. I know it's an Arri cam. Because it's not anamorphic. No. It's spherical. I think so, yes. I'm pretty sure it is. Yes. Uh, uh, it was a while since I saw it. I think you said ST, right? Like uh, well, the 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 the, uh, the most commonly work uh, like studio or work cameras mm. were the Aircam uh, ST, which is Aircam Studio, mm. and the Aircam uh, LT. I think it was ST. I think the LT would be like maybe for Steadicam, like a smaller version of it. Okay, because like there were Steadicam shots, like I said. Um, yeah, those mm. Koreans like to move cameras. Mm. Well, uh, and, and in that case, it was another. Uh, it wasn't the the, the usual cinematographer. Uh, it, they took in some uh, Czech guy, I think, who was physically robust and <laughs> good yeah. at Steadicam work. Steadicam uh, is difficult. Steadicam is usually yeah. nothing that uh, like on bigger things that you as a cinematographer will do because mm. it's 
It's like, oh, There's, I, I can drive a moped. Let's get this truck. Yeah, yeah. Like, or, or even a, a heavy <laughs> boat. You know, I, I was gonna, I was gonna say heavy motorcycle, but yeah, sure, even that different. Uh, no, I guess there's a lot of specialists uh, that just yeah. do Steadicam. Like, uh, and I, I have a friend who is a specialist at uh, high speed cameras, so he's yeah. he's a Phantom uh, expert. You know? I was that a little bit in Australia. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so you know Phantom cameras? As no, well. no. Okay, I was. Uh, <laughs> there was two cameras before. There was the Phantom uh, cameras which were amazing, but when they came out, they weren't really that great. Mm. And then there was another camera that was actually very, very much better because it didn't do a bunch of crap I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about because then, you know, this will be like a 24-hour episode. Yeah. Um, but there, it was called a Wisecam AHS2, which was a fantastic camera with like lovely skin tones and like really gorgeous footage. But it was really expensive, and it was really complicated. Like mm, really, mm, like mm. they all were ridiculously complicated. Mm. And the Phantom Flex was obviously complicated too. But the Phantom Flex would have weird things that they would warm up, and then they got too warm if you had them on for too long. And mm. then what they would do is that they would uh, like because the slow motion cameras generally you'll have a global shutter on them, which means it's not a rolling shutter, meaning that they will capture everything. Uh, like every frame will be captured all the pixels at the same time. It's like a picture. Mm. Uh, while which would be better. Uh, which would be better, but know, it has this... Because it's more like a film camera. Right? Yeah, but it has a defect. Uh, like mm. progressive is the same, basically. You capture an entire image instantaneously, but mm. it will start capturing it from the left-hand side corner and then go all the way down mm. to the left. Yeah. So Which can create artifacts later. Yeah, when like you, you move rolling them. Yeah. shutter. Yeah. Uh, Wavy uh, images. But if you drop something in front of that heated up phantom camera mm-hmm. it would obviously wouldn't like if you say you drop a plate mm. the plate wouldn't be round the plate would be like a blong mm. because it got warm yeah and the okay. wise cam didn't okay. really do this but then you know the phantoms have gotten so much better so now they're freaking ridiculously great which is your favorite camera alexa it's still the alexa yeah. yeah it will it will probably be uh, like well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask the focus puller, mm-hmm. then he will say one thing. Mm. But if you ask the cinematographer... Then I'm asking he, you as a cinematographer. As a cinematographer, I would say the Alexa. Mm. But I would also put in that it also like it obviously depends on what it is. It, mm. it depends on what project it is. If there is money, and if you're not doing anything special, then why not have an Alexa? Mm. There's no reason for why. Like To put it like this, I have not worked on a single thing in sweden that is you know something you'd see on tv or the cinema mm. on a red no no I, I guess so it's not that common in in sweden yet at least no they they were because they were cheap mm. but then the alexa came along and now they're not mm. like the only time i actually see reds are oh we don't have a lot of money mm-hmm. and then you you get a red or there's a they're cheaper I see. No, they're basically the same price, but it's like an owner operator because mm. generally you'll see people that, you know, bought a red, uh, like the red one, mm. and then kept upgrading it until they got our kind of red MX Dragon bullshit mm. weapon shit, Scarlet, whatever. Mm. They have the coolest name ever. Yeah. Smartest name well, also. It's like, oh, we're going to ship this thing to Sweden called a Bomb EVF on an airplane. We are so smart. 
Anyways, <laughs> I haven't thought about that. No, it's fucking yeah. dumb. <laughs> but I actually like that they have cool names. Uh, I mean, the Red MX, that's not a cool name. Yeah, so it's like get... cool skulls on the websites. And you're yeah, like, yeah. when you press a video, you hear like some sweet riffs on a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, no, I'm kidding. I was just, I just think it's a little bit like it's a little bit uh, like very America. Yeah, sure. But they, they look good and they, they look, I mean, uh, I uh, was uh, filmed by a red dragon yesterday. That was, my, oh, that you? was the first, yes. A red dragon. Who's, what was the you ones? No, uh, this was uh, the simple visual guys, uh, Anton Jungberg uh, and oh, the young Max Shore. Yeah. Oh, so you you were the one because they were like, we need an actor. Yeah, I'm the one oh, nice. <laughs> that they needed. Very nice guys. Yeah, he's very super cool. nice. Mm. He's very good. I was like, mm. dude, either you make your own thing here because I worked with him on like an IKEA commercial. Because he's so young and he does like good stuff. Mm. It's like mm. he, I think he needs to. They're like 22. Those guys. Huh? I know it's so mm. silly. Uh, he needs to work just on like his voice, but he's so young, so he you know, it will get there because now. It's something. It's mm. not bad, but it's you know there you want to you want to have a voice with that. You want to be you know you have your own way of telling stories, which he does. But it's like I wanted to see it like a voice, anyways. Uh, but he will get to that. But I did speak to him on that IKEA commercial. I was like, dude, you're so good. Like mm, mm. Mm, you know, nothing's mm. gonna happen here. <laughs> you should think about moving to uh, Stockholm. Because this is another thing. This is in Sweden. And I don't know if anybody, like everybody listening here knows that. But like Sweden is a very interesting place to work in filmmaking-wise. Mm-hmm. Because both me and Pet obviously live in, uh, <clears throat> live in Malmö. Mm. Or Malmö. And nothing happens here. Oh, Almost. Bridge. Yeah, I was just going to say. Except but it's over now. <laughs> it's over now. Yeah. Was that the Alexa, by the way, on the bridge? Yeah. yeah. It's always Alexa. I thought so. Mm. I know it sounds like a douchey thing to say, but it's like, yeah, it's always Alexis on those things. So, um, yes, so I was saying Sweden is a very weird place. I'm in Malmö. Uh, basically, a lot of big productions happen in Gothenburg, so that would be mm. a good place to live. Mm. It would also but it's close, so you can go there quite easily. Yeah, you can go there quite easily like if you're an actor, but if you're a film worker, Filmivest, which is the uh, film branch of that area, mm-hmm. is extremely tough and extremely hard and requires people to be registered in the oh, area. okay it's like union rules and stuff yeah like that. basically yeah. taxes and, stuff mm. and they get a lot of money so a lot of the bigger productions mm. happen in film vest mm. like uh, Bory McEnroe was film vest the square is film vest mm. yeah which i also worked on yeah uh i forgot mm. uh, mouse metal U- uve is film vest mm. hunayong in a film vest like everything is film yeah yeah and uh as an actor as well uh you can't go there unless you're actually an actor in demand and blah blah you can exactly. circumvent those things so it's yeah. it's a difficult place but mm. like then you have stockholm who basically is just a city full of people that don't care like basically you can go there and work but mm. what they do care about which where what it comes down to all the time is about money it's like oh, okay mm. Well, where do you, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So, oh, I don't live there. It's like, oh, crap. Oh, well, they have to figure something out. Mm. And then you cost money, and then you're not interesting anymore. Mm. But sometimes they're really desperate anyways. Mm. And for me, which is not a lot of people down here that live here, mm. and I thank the filmmaking gods that this worked out really well, mm-hmm. because I moved from Australia after I lived there for five and a half years, working in their film industry. 
Did you go to school in Australia? I went as well? to school for a year in Australia. Yeah, yeah correct. Right. And then I became a teacher at the school for a year and oh, a half. Oh, well, wow! So that means you're good. Yeah, <laughs> that means that they're they're cheap. Ah. I don't want to pay anyone. <laughs> but uh, I really love that school. It's a fantastic school, Sydney Film School. It's mm. uh, amazing. Uh, but um, so I was good. I knew a bunch of stuff, mm. and I was like, I was 23, 22, 23, I think. And I was th- I was in Australia for five and a half years, and I came back to Sweden, and I moved to Malmo. Mm. And I was like, everybody knew me in Australia. I just won two cinematography awards, like oh. gold, which was like really good in Australia. Yeah. And like I was sitting at Bullen, which is this local restaurant, mm. eating food with my mom. And like everyone in Australia that I knew was like, oh my God, you won this award. It's amazing. You won mm. two in your first call. Mm. And I was like, mom, I won these awards. It's like, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing anybody said here because nobody here cares here what that is. Mm-hmm. So I have two magnificent awards at home that nobody gives a shit about uh, because mm. it doesn't mean anything here. Right. But it meant something in Australia. So yeah. if I would have stayed in Australia, I would have obviously become a cinematographer faster. And here I need to earn money because I want to live. Mm. And but, cinematographer is what you want to be doing. Yeah, mm. eventually. So, uh, but moving from Australia, big film industry, to Malmö, no film industry. Uh, I was a, got a little bit depressed, obviously, like the first month or so. But then I was like, damn mm. it, I'm going to make this. And then slowly but surely, I worked myself, uh, I started up at a little production company called Smart Film in Limham, who, like, all of those people there are lovely people. They employed me for about a year, six, uh, seven months or so. Mm-hmm. And Wallander was shooting. Yep. And at one point, there was a, a friend of mine who had gone to Sydney Film School that was going to do his short movie, and he mm-hmm. wanted to ask them if they could buy... Or rent their red. And they were like, well, Ben has focus pulled and stuff before. He knows the camera. And I helped mm. kid out their camera. Mm. And they were like, you can go, uh, Ben can go with you. So I went with him. And on that production, there was like a script supervisor that I was like, because you always knew when you were working people that were like professionals. Mm. And you knew when you were working people that were not. Mm. And the script supervisor was just like, damn, this guy is very, very good. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm starting Wallander, like the next season of Wallander. Uh, you should contact uh, this guy and uh, try to get on board. I think mm. they still have a monitor assistant because you have to realize I have to start over from the beginning, mm. basically. Mm. So I messaged him or called him. He's like, no, that position is already filled. But then they got my number. So when they needed a clapper loader and an extra monitor assistant, mm. they called me. Mm. So I came in there. I did like a week, last week of the first movie. And then I came in and did sporadic dates. I worked with a second unit cinematographer there, and she really thought I was good. And she recommended me to the production manager of the third, uh, second season of The Bridge. He really, like, uh, he thought it was fine. He was happy with this because they obviously want to employ someone that lives in Malmö and mm. not someone that lives in uh, Copenhagen or anywhere else because right, it's okay. very expensive. Mm. So I got employed there, working there, worked my ass off and did a very good job in my own opinion. And I think people like what I did, maybe, I don't know. Uh, and I am I became very good and close friends with the second unit uh, B-camera focus puller called Rasmus Bengtsson, who is, if you check out his IMDB, you'll like poop your pants. Mm. Anyways, uh, so I started working with him a lot, and he is from Gothenburg. Mm. So he lives in Malmö because his partner is from um, uh, Malmö, so they both live here, but he would work there. Mm. And then he obviously liked working with me because we had a very good 
like connection like we mm. team wise we worked really well and we we're, were friends so we're, we worked really well because i'm quiet on set and he's quiet on set yeah, yeah, professional yeah, yeah. but then you know he can fart when i'm uh, kneeling next to the camera like he will do you know <laughs> we're, we're friends right, so right. it works mm. um and i did like four or five movies with him as a clapper loader and then i think a, a production manager made a mistake <laughs> that was they were shooting a movie in usta called um Unga Sophie Bell. Mm. And uh, Young I was Sophie Bell. Yeah. yeah. And I was on the last two weeks of Yarden. Mm, the Yard. Yeah. Uh, which won the Gulbagger for best cinematography. Mm, yeah. And they called him mm. first. And he's like, I got a missed number on my phone. And they're like, Yeah, they're from some production. And then they called me. I was like, Ah, oh, yeah, can you pull focus? And I was like, this is when I wanted, like, I should move on now. Because I started pulling focus in Sydney. Mm. Like, started, started, started. Like, very mm. early, but mm, I started. Mm, mm, mm. And I really, obviously, want to continue, but I had to start over from the beginning. And then the Swedish mm. way of working with movies and stuff was a lot more fun. And in Sydney, I mainly worked on, like, commercials and so forth. Yeah, yeah. It was not as much fun. Mm. And it's a little bit tougher there. Mm. <clears throat> um, is that why you uh, you left Australia? No, I left Australia mainly because of Visa. Oh, yeah. yeah like, and I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Mm. So I wanted to be a focus puller. And, I was like, I sh- and he was like, you just have to take that step. And I was like, yeah, I know. And then they called from this production. I was like, oh, yeah, you want to pull focus? And I was like, is this a professional shoot? And they're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You get 34,000 Swedish crowns in like loan or like salaries. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. Say no more. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I haven't, I have pulled focus on like things on the bridge and things on mm. here and there mm. and like so forth. But you get nervous and you should get nervous. So I rock up on set and I meet the cinematographer. <laughs> He's like one year older than me. He's this kind of funny, very nice and kind guy from like um, uh, Luleå. No, Umeå. Sorry. Mm. Way up north in Sweden. A really lovely guy and I had a really interesting way of shooting and we worked really well together like uh, very well so um and i think i also got off from being like a clap loader for a really hardcore focus puller on the bridge mm-hmm. like i i really hated him a lot of the times on the bridge in the beginning but i really love him now and i can say his name i think he's fucking like amazing person i'm not going to say his name because then people can be shitty or something mm. but he's an american like amazing individual who is like one of the greatest focus pros i ever met but he's he can be a little difficult mm-hmm. but him and i got along very well and towards the end of that shoot we were like oh <laughs> um Bros. so a- after working with him i became pedantic like i was pedantic before uh, okay. but he was that's what the excessive that was the good thing that came out of the yeah so i brought that with me on everything and then you know when i worked with this cinematographer on unga Bell, he really i think he just enjoyed that and that i was i don't know that i he could talk to me about things and i would mm. uh, because a lot of, i've noticed a lot of focus pullers in sweden don't i'm not saying they don't i'm not saying all of them but they're a little bit like oh i'm doing a job mm. and like because i like it and i can explain things to the camera and it's like this is underexposed and i'm I'm also, like, as a focus puller, mm. I'm very, which you should be, I'm very concerned with the image, mm. not in the way what they do. I don't I don't care about that. I shouldn't care about that because it's mm. not it's not my part of the job. Mm. They've been sitting for months or years trying to figure out what this style is or the lighting is. Sure. Or what, but what you, you know, you have, a, you have an eye for it. You're, you're a cinematographer as well. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll have an eye for it, but it's not 
I am not in a position to question anything they do. No. But what I can do is I can be very precise with like focus. This sounds ridiculous. But I, as an assistant, you should always strive to make the image as good as it can be. Yeah. So I'd come yeah. with like suggestions. You can rotate this. You can put a polarizer in there. Oh, this is a funny mm. thing. Like if you're shooting very dark skinned people, mm. you can actually put a polarizer in. And what you can do is you can rotate the polarizer. And basically what happens is because our, you and I have this similar skin tones, mm. which is that we're... Have no skin tone. Yes, we're palish. <laughs> but what happens uh, that we absorb a lot and you can't see reflections on our faces. Mm-hmm. But with darker skinned people, mm. obviously reflections are a little bit like, yeah, easier. Sure. So with a polarizer, you can actually dial in where you want that reflection to be seen. Ah, nice. So like type, ah, these ah, types ah, of ah, things. Interesting. Or like, oh, we can put this filter in to get that high life to like, uh, you know, calm down. Or like, oh, I'm looking at the false color and like this uh, part of the frame is overexposed and I think your eye is drawn there. So maybe you should just do something. Usually, like you always try to be like polite. Mm. And I think he liked that. Yeah. And also that we can speak about grading. So then out of the blue, he just calls me a few months later and he's like, oh, we're going to do this thing. You want to join us? And it's like this uh, pilot slash opening uh, scenes of the movie and ending scenes slash uh, short uh, movie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. What's it called? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's uh, Nora Stilfjellet. All right. A.K.A. the beginning of Sommerblut. Yeah. All right. So I went up with him and we shot the beginning of Salmon Blue without mm. knowing. Salmon Blue is fantastic. Like one of the greater Swedish movies I've seen recently. I've heard a lot of uh, yeah, good stuff. It's very good. The beginning sections when she's old and some of the later sections, not all of it, but some of the later sections, I focus pulled and uh, the cinematographer mm. I worked mm. with shot. Mm. Uh, so we went and did that and then basically that started up a very long relationship working with this guy and we did I think we've done like six or seven or eight movies together uh, so we did Unga Sufi Bell, Salme Blood we did uh, Rebecca Martinson movies that mm. was four movies mm. that then which turned became into a TV, TV series, series. Yeah. and then we did the uh, sci-fi yeah so seven Alone in Space yeah okay yeah yeah and it's all all big things so you keep working yeah Yeah. and this is how it works you know you get to know people and uh, networking and stuff but that's what I'm saying like there's uh, it seems to to lead to other stuff more easily than it does for let's say actors and stuff like that because Mm. you need to be you know the right person in every aspect not just you know I've worked with a lot of cinematographers Mm. and there's basically only three that's like call me back and wanted me to do things and i'm not saying that uh, because I'm a, I'm a terrible person no, no it's just that a lot of cinematographers are always there's the working cinematographers mm. that we just need a focus pool i just mm. need that person yeah, yeah. whoever's close whoever well, whoever needs they're good and they can do the job yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. fun we can be polite on set but i don't care mm. when they're gone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they just need one mm. but then you have the ones that care mm. and there's like he's one eat us one and there's another like a few others but they're like they like the person, but also they know they can do the job. They can trust them. They have like complete confidence in them, mm. and sometimes they trust their opinions. Like mm. I was one of the movies from last year, which is why I realized that maybe I should start like actually doing something other than being an assistant. Is that both the, both cinematographers at one point like ask for my opinion? Mm. That doesn't yeah, yeah. Ha- that doesn't happen. No, no, no. And like it's a really scary situation because like they ask you for your opinion, mm. and you know people can be sly, 
like <laughs> people can have ulterior motives and stuff so you have to be very careful with how you answer mm-hmm. but like these two people i've worked with a lot mm. and i know them and then i would give them my actual yeah. response yeah they know you actually have the skill and the taste and the eye and everything to actually well, give them a good, they, good opinion i built up a trust that's there yeah, yeah sure and you know i've gone th- like gone through a lot with both of them so mm. they both trust you with this like I don't, I, I don't really remember like exactly what it is, but I, I know one, like it will, it'll be things where they get unsure because people get yeah. unsure. Yeah, sure. Sometimes people yeah. don't get unsure. Yeah. Like when everything's fine and you know, the director's there and he can help me and blah, blah, blah. And like light. But that, sometimes. That's a creative thing as well. I mean, sometimes you actually want to ask somebody's opinion just to be able to work out what your own opinion is. Or yes. get another angle. Like, uh yeah now I, I now I know what I'm thinking you know just exactly. s- sort the the, th- the thought process out mm. like um, um it is good to have another person mm. what I have had happen to me is that you'll have someone that won't shut up mm-hmm. like I've had it on things where I've done it myself mm. or like I've had an assistant mm. and they won't they won't stop coming with their suggestions oh we can do this oh we can do that and yeah. oh you can yeah. do this and you can mm. do this and it's like I'm very polite in the beginning, but then after a while, it's just like, I know you mean, don't mean this in a like negative manner. I know mm. you're you're trying to be nice, mm. but please don't give me any suggestions. Just be quiet. Mm. That like, happens more on smaller productions, I guess. When uh, yeah, because then you feel like you have more space to to, to be that. Uh, yeah, because it's not that professional to do. And uh, no, but I've had it like I know, like I did a short movie that didn't happen to me, but happened to someone else. Mm you know, like a director, mm. that there was a person that was constantly just bugging. Mm. It's like, you know, not saying continuity things, but mm. like actually directing. Mm. You know, like, I don't think this person should do this. Oh, I think mm. that's way too much. Mm-hmm. Mm, this acting is blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay. And it's, yeah, you know, nah, yeah, yeah. and it's like, please shut the fuck up. Mm. Because you're there, not you're your there to work, <laughs> yeah. and like it's not your movie. Mm. Know, like exactly. if you want to be have an opinion about something, go do your own thing. Mm. And it's I know everybody's trying to do well. Usually, it uh, like comes from a as a positive, something positive. But but uh, what happens with the crew people is that you guys work on so many things and all over the place. It's kind of fun to look at IMDB like I do now. And yes, we we share one credit. It's the bridge. <laughs> but how many people do you think we share connections with? Have a guess. Can you see that? You can see shared credits on IMDB Pro, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, people people we have connections with because of the productions we've been in. Oh, fuck. I don't know. Not yeah. a lot. 1,067 people. So that's what happens. What? You know? Yeah, yeah, because you know I've How been. Can a, you see who these people are? Yeah, just pick one. Caroline Drab, Rasmus Bengtsson. God damn it! Okay. Janne Lindqvist. Um, Janne. Yeah, he's something. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what he is. <laughs> you just out him. Uh, stunts, miscellaneous crew, actor. Okay. What was he on? Oh yeah 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 yeah. He Alone was in space. Yeah 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 yeah. Oh, he's uh, he's from uh, Skjona. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, they were amazing. They there's just a... there's just three of one thousand sixty-seven. Okay, I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he was uh, he's uh, they're very good. Like the did you see the square? No, I haven't seen, God seen it yet. Damn it! I Pam, know, boy. I know, I know. You're, You're just, just additional on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> I, you know, I was actually asked to do it, the whole focus pulling thing. No, what? 
but a, de- a decline. You decline. Okay, there we go. <laughs> no, but like I, I can, I like obviously I was like, oh, I should have said yes because it would be fun, mm. but. You didn't know it was going to end up to win the It's Ruben Östlund. Yeah. And it's Fredrik Wenzel, the yeah. cinematographer, who's phenomenal. Phenomenal, yeah. And like, mm. I knew everything because it was mm. on the news. Like, I knew what it was. Everybody knows what, what mm. it is. And I was offered, uh, I offered the DP wanted me. Mm. He was asking what I was doing. Oh, there we go. Yeah. And uh, I said, I have to decline because I'm already, I've already accepted another movie. Yeah, Which was uh, mm. Becko, Kungen of Tingsryd. Mm. Which... Uh, like, not to be malicious in any way, but like a movie that just disappeared. Yeah, well, that happens. It's just a fact then. Yeah. Well, it's mm. a fact when I think Bory McEnroe is premiering on a Friday, Beko Kungan mm. thinks it on a Wednesday, and uh-huh. then The Square on a Friday. Oh. It deep rice, like deep rising uh, that movie. Did you, did you know that? The Stephen Summers movie with like the slug so monsters true. that attack the boat? That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, but you know what happened with that one? No. Titanic. Ah, yeah. There we also, go. Mm. This is the movie mm. on a Wednesday or something. Yeah. And then Titanic had premiere, and everyone was like, bye. Yeah, yeah. That happens. That happens. Fuck, it's so important where, when you actually release or like your deep stuff. Deep Impact Armageddon. Yeah, there was. They were released like within a year or something. No, they released like three months apart. Or something. Three months. Yeah, it was like Shit. ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Um, you were talking about the. Um, uh, the cameras that shot the public enemies and it was too sharp to actually make a... It, it made people people look kind of ugly and stuff like that. Yeah. And and film has this magic quality, almost. It's a softness to it. A softness to it, yeah. Also, it's what we would perceive as cinematic. And so, some people say that that will change when film goes away and people who are young now or in the future will actually feel kind of differently. I don't quite sure I know... I agree with that because, you know, when the... Hobbit came out and they were doing all this experimental stuff like okay we're gonna do 48 frames and we're gonna yeah. do uh, it, was, it wasn't 180 degrees shutter uh, angle yeah yeah which which is kind of weird and, and then it was 3D on top of that which made everything it's a really fe- interesting uh, idea but yeah yeah but it made everything feel like you were backstage at a theater watching it looked uh, actors fake. yeah it and looked everything fake. that was uh, a background plate like a, a looked like a flat image looked like a flat image in the distance just a a, a piece of theater uh, scenography a lot of the and, uh, cgi looked cgi like looked it fake was, didn't it wasn't attached to no reality. it wasn't attached to reality exactly and then i went to see the film again in standard like 2d 24 frames mm. and all of a sudden there we go now we're in a now we're in middle earth now it feels like yeah. i'm actually transported to another fantasy country or another fantasy world mm. uh, so uh, I don't think that's just because I'm uh, I've lived, <laughs> so I I um, but you know as many w- years, so I know what the stuff were before digital and three D. But mm. but you know the weird thing is though, what is apparently we perceive the world in two hundred and forty frames per second. Okay, it's that's more than sixty. I, I thought sixty was what they said is like the the perceived uh, like uh, correct uh, motion blur. Yeah, but like we perceive, like we like if you're gonna measure how we see things, mm-hmm. it's two hundred forty frames per second, apparently. Okay, but like if you watch something in two hundred forty frames per second, it looks absolutely horrendous. Yeah, of course, because I think it's a it's a thing. Well, it's, to, of course, to me, but yeah. No, but it, it is mm. forty eight frames per second mm. because technically, what it is is that. 24 frames per second is 172 
0.8 degree shutter angle for correct uh, movement mm. that doesn't look like it's dragging and doesn't look too sharp. Mm. So then 48 frames per second would be double that, but yeah. they couldn't really double it because then it would be a 360 degree shutter or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. So they do. They did a halfway thing, which is 270 degree shutter angle. Mm, mm. So then if they could, would go back to 24, it would look normal. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. So that's, that's why they had that weird shutter angle. Mm, mm. But technically, because 48 frames per second and then double the shutter for 172 mm. should be correct, right? should mm. look the same. They don't. Mm. So I think like a mathematical equation of these things aren't really something that can be translated. No, That's okay. how we can mm. say that we have 240 frames per second in our mind, like how mm. we perceive things. Mm. But like trying to project that onto an image, a moving image, mm. doesn't look like doesn't look good. Like the no, worst thing I know is when I watch a movie and they've turned off the shutter on the camera. Uh-huh. What that means for nobody that knows is that uh, instead of trying to perceive the shutter movement, so mm. you'll have normal like motion mm. of people and objects and things, yeah. it gets turned off, meaning that you'll have more motion blur, meaning that, mm. you know, how TV cameras used to look back in the day. Yeah, it's like it's dragging, not great. Yeah, no. like a little Blair Witchy and stuff like that. Mm. And the worst thing that I possibly, like I can't handle, like I just, I just go and kill myself, is that thing that came up a few weeks or months, sorry, months ago where a lot of uh, directors mm. came out and said, we we want TVs to have a disclaimer. We don't want these yeah, TVs yeah, yeah. The to mo- have smart motion right. on our movies oh, because yeah. they're not intended to be watched this way. Uh, no, smart nope. motion is fantastic for games. For sports and games. For yeah. sports, mm-hmm. for documentaries. Yeah, maybe. That's fine, especially for games because it calms the eye. That's oh, right. all the 60 yeah, yeah, frames yeah. per second yeah. versus 30 frames uh-huh. per second. But, but like, for movies and For TV? movies, it just looks yeah. Fucking horrible! Really, really it looks horrendous. Like shit! And yeah. the same thing happens with the ha- this whole forty-eight frames per second thing. Like mm, not as much, no. but you you get taken out. I yeah, just don't feel. Like I don't feel like I'm there because I don't see the world like no. that. No, like if I do this, it doesn't look like I'm waving my hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't. I don't see it that. Well, way. That TV thing is interesting, uh, and I'm very they're not, never going I'm, to do I, it. I, like they're never ever. Going uh, which is horrible. I mean, they shouldn't deliver them with that setting on. It should it's, be a disclaimer. It's, but disclaimer. Well, it shouldn't be be on when you get to TV. It should be something that you choose yourself if you need it. Yes. Because it's so fucking weird. And I've been at... Before I knew about this thing, I was in several other people's homes. Uh, I don't have a TV myself, so I watch everything on computer screen, so I don't have the problem. Mm-hmm. But I've been in other people's homes, and I was like, why... Why are these movies looking so horrible? And you know you can't really say anything because you know they paid a lot of money for their new TV. Oh, I always say something. And uh, and I've been thinking, oh, maybe it's a digital uh, broadcast thing. Maybe it's just bad bad connection, something. But why are the highlights staying like? There's uh, dragging. There's drag with the highlights. Highlights. Yeah, but mostly, yeah, and mostly it's it's probably this thing. But um, I'm one of those. And, and and now I know, but I still can't say anything because I know it's going to be a big thing. Like if I at my dad dad's place, like why don't you turn off that thing? Can't you see it looks horrible? They would be like what? And I don't want well, to go is, into it. This is the thing. thing which is interesting for a number of reasons of what we do is that people have no idea. People have no clue. They don't see it. Like, and how can they not see it? It's such exactly. a big difference. 
<laughs> but that's like you really just have to go in and turn it off and hope they don't understand how to turn it on because the movie experience what happens is that like well cinemas are going to go away sooner or later anyways because they need to come up with a good better way of screening things yeah. because most, I think they will. most of the projectors in cinemas are shit mm. most tvs are really good and you can watch netflix movies really well on your freaking phone mm. and when you go to the cinema unless it's a very very well taken care of cinema like panora mm. or like royal mm. the local theaters yeah mm. But if you go to Filmstaden or Bipalatz, yeah, like Richter, multiplexes, uh, they they have a very shitty system sometimes. Like they'll yeah. have non-calibrated monitors or projectors that will be soft in an area, will be chromatic aberrations, will be a soft image, yeah. will be yeah. sharpness yeah. at places, and it's like, so people are going to stop going to the cinema sooner or later, anyways. I don't but, know, but imagine if they mm. are used to watching this and then they go to the cinema. Mm. Either they don't know it. Like they don't Subcon- see they subconsciously uh, feel like this is better. And, I think uh, so. I want to go to the cinema, so maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, but it could be subconsciously yeah. that they don't like it because they're used to having like. No, but it, no, but it's just not pleasant. So I don't think it, that can't happen. No, uh, it's, it's. But this, what you're saying about th- cinema, though, I I think it's also an event. I like to get out of the house and go to a big room and watch a really big image and have the sound all around me and blah blah. And even if I would have a home home cinema, maybe yeah. it would. It's it's still something to do. There's you know? no other way of experiencing this art form than when are in a room with a group of people. Mm. So that that like, hopefully shuts the fuck up. Oh. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, um, where can we find you, uh, like a uh, social media wise and stuff? Your Instagrams, your what oh, have you? Yeah. Hmm. Instagram, I'm uh, Sursa Sodig. Hmm. <laughs> yes. For all you English speakers, uh, have good luck finding that one. Yes. But, <laughs> but the other one is Ben's Cricket, mm. which is B E N Z C R I C K E T. Yeah. And on that, uh, you should be able to see my other account, yeah. which is S Y R S A Sodig. Which mm. is my last name. Mm. Z-A-D-I-G. Mm. And you have uh, your uh, like cinematography work mostly on one of them. Well, and... one of them is just iPhones. And the um, other one is like uh, everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screenshots and stuff. Yeah, because okay. I'm, I'm a little bit weird like that because I like to have... I like my... My iPhone account because mm. I like taking pictures with iPhone because mm. it's like a little bit of a struggle sometimes to make it, you know, sure. look nice. Yeah. But then with the, the other one, I have my cinematography work. Mm. And some of it. Uh, and also, like, you know, pictures with better stills cameras and stuff. Yeah. Crap. I well, go and check that out. And we're Do it. probably going to see a lot more of stuff you actually shot as a cinematographer in the future. I see great things in your future. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming. No worries. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. I warned you. Didn't I warn you? I warned you. It would get technical and nerdy. And it did. Uh, but please be back next time uh, in two weeks time for the next episode when my guest will be actor Robert Bengtson until then go see some movies in the cinema bye